This is a Jace Media Service Podcast. We are a negative profit company. This podcast features David Hatfield of the famous Hatfield and McCoys. David tells about his famous relative, Sid Hatfield, who is a folk legend and United Mine Workers of America hero. It also features an introduction by Kim Patterson, innkeeper of the historic Maitland House Bed and Breakfast, which David owns. We're in Maitland, West Virginia. Hi, my name is Kim Patterson. I'm the innkeeper here at the historic Maitland House Bed and Breakfast. I fix your breakfast, I check you in, check you out, take care of whatever needs you have while you're here. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody has a great day. I grew up here. I love it. I have moved away for a while, but I came back. This is home. I love the mountains here. My grandparents were born and raised here. My parents were born and raised here. Uh, I graduated from school here. I, I love it. I love our small town. We're a close-knit community. Uh, when something happens, everybody pulls together to take care of everybody. I love it. It's, it's a great place to live. <laughs> We're in Maitland, West Virginia. We are in the historic Maitland House bed and breakfast. Hillbilly. Let's try that one first. What's a hillbilly? Uh, it means different things to different people. A lot of people confuse it with uh, not the redneck of uh, the uh, mine boards era, but the modern day version of redneck. I think hillbillies are unique people. Um, uh, you know, it's the same as any other term for uh, city slicker. Uh, so forth and so on, you know, different places around the country, around the world that uh, have a unique name of some kind, just depicting who they are or where they're from, or way of identifying, I guess. Uh, hillbillies are independent people. They're good people. Uh, they treat you how, you know, they want to be treated. And uh, I, just, I just think they're uh, fair and honest, uh, but yet, uh, Again, the loyalty thing comes in uh, to play and uh, your word. Well, the evils here came here from New York City in the form of the coal company owners and what have you that took advantage of uh, poor mountain folk uh, that, uh, you know, were self-sustaining before they came here and ended up being becoming their slaves, basically. They really were taken advantage of, I think, and uh, you know it's, it's 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 unfortunate that it happened that way. And we're not playing the victim card. Yeah, you look back at history, and that's uh, that's the way it played out. The thing about it is, it's, it's kind of hard for people too. You know, here all of a sudden, they're uh, some of them are actually living on the same land that they were living on before that they actually owned at one time. Now they don't own it anymore and people are dictating terms to them. They don't even, you know, I talk, I talk about the script that we have in our little store up there. You know, it's a piece of history that people can carry around with them, but it's something we, we need to carry around with so we don't forget. That poor miner that took that script of that coal company and, and traded it for something to eat or something to work with or whatever, you know, the only way that he could break that bond because he never did get his hands on U.S. currency to even get, you know, a train ticket to get out of town. And back then, that was the only way in and out of here to civilization. You had to leave, lay down everything that you could carry that you might have owned outright if you owned anything that wasn't the coal companies or 
you know, the company store and just walk out with nothing. And that, that took a lot to be able to do that. A lot of people couldn't break that bondage. And so the economic slavery that was, uh, that, that, that caused is why, you know, in later years you had a lot of violence and things that he was talking about, the evil. It wasn't because people here were violent, but, you know, you back somebody or a human or, a, or even an animal in a corner and they have no other recourse, then that's sometimes what happens. Well, basically, uh, Sid Hatfield and my great-grandmother were brother and sister. And so that's how I can see it. My great-grandmother was a Hatfield, my great-grandfather was a Hatfield. Their dads were brothers, they were first cousins, and that wasn't uncommon in this area at that time. So that's uh, just one of the little side stories. Do you know when exactly you came to the police here in town? Not exactly, but I know it was prior to, of course, the uh, Maitland Massacre or, or Battle of Maitland, whichever one you want to call it, in, on May 19th, 1920. Uh, Sid, from what I can gather, uh, some of the more well-to-do people in town didn't really care for Sid being the chief of police. But at that time, Maitland was like a you know Wild West boomtown, you know, during the gold rush or something. Uh, you know, thousands of people within a mile of Maitland. You know, a uh, lot of things going on you know, rough housing on the weekends and things like that and so forth and so on. And, you know, you had to have somebody here to keep the, keep the peace. And it was said that uh, said that, you know, was known to be a little bit rough around the edges and they didn't approve of that. But, you know, other than that, it was, you know, uh, Mayor Testament uh, kind of seen it to, that he was the guy for the job. Just to put that well, I know the popular version. And, and then, of course, you know, the coal company's version is totally different. And so I guess that's the reason that, uh, you know, Sid and the other 20-some uh, defendants uh, in the uh, trial after the Maitland Massacre, uh, that's the reason they were acquitted uh, or found not guilty, is because of the, the total, uh, you know, diverse way that they explained it. You know, the coal company said, you know, Sid snuck up behind them one of the detectives and shot him without him even knowing he was armed and all this stuff. And, and then, of course, the other version of it where it was basically like the old Wild West, you know, you had a standoff, shot rang out, the mayor drops to the ground, then all, you know, what broke loose. And basically that's the version that I know, and the version I've heard more of. And so that's kind of the way I go with it. And, uh, but, you know, if you just talk to James Baldwin, uh, one of the people that comes here all the time, and uh, he's some of his descendants were the his uncles were the Baldwin Phelps detectives. Uh, he's going to tell it the other way, and so what we do, we tell it both ways, and then we let you decide. Well, let me tell you something. This is the same thing I tell people with the Hat from Poitiers, right? We do a lot of tours and everything. When you start taking events that happened over 100 years ago, it's almost impossible with 100% assurance to tell anybody what happened. And if you do, you're lying through your teeth. And the only people that know, you probably visited Sid's grave and Ed's grave and the mayor's grave. They're the only ones, mm -hmm. if they could come back and talk to us, that can tell us what happened. So, you know, it'll be buried with them until someday maybe we get to meet them on the other side. And we'll find out.
uh, the reason the mayor liked him so well and the reason they were best friends is, you know, his loyalty. And, you know, Sid, that was the reason that a lot of people were, uh, thought that it was odd that Sid married Jesse within just 10 days or so or within two weeks of the time of the mayor's death. You got to look at the perspective on it is uh, back then the women didn't have a lot of rights like they do now, especially when it comes to taking over property and the mayor, of course, was, you know, had a testament jewelry store and, and uh, she had a small son to take care of and her chances of survival on her own here were slim and that. And the mayor and Sid both knew that at any time either one of them or both of them could have been killed because they had refused bribes by the coal company and so forth and so on. And so, you know, I think that was one of the things that set him apart and probably made him a better candidate to be the chief of police, but it, it was trust. It was somebody he could trust that he was going to stand up and do what he, you know, do what he had to do to protect, uh, you know, Jesse and everything after. And I guess they thought that was the best way was to, you know, for them to be married. Then, you know, of course, she had somebody to protect her and, you know, he wanted to keep his word. And the coal company, they framed it a totally different way and, and basically said, you know, that Sid killed the mayor. Now, I'm going to put it to you, just like I put it to everybody else. If you're faced off with a gunfight or a potential gunfight, are you going to somehow take time out to fire the first shot at your friend and nobody's going to see you do it right out in the open in front of everybody? Doesn't quite make sense. So I'm just going to leave it right there. And once that first shot rang out, then, you know, it just doesn't sound logical to me. But, you know, I, I'm one to believe it that way. And, but that's, I, just, I try to put myself on both sides of it, but I just can't see if I was there that day. I couldn't see me if I was in his position. Uh, you know, being focused on anything but what's in front of me. How he was accused of destroying a temple in Mohawk. Well, it wouldn't, probably wasn't a whole lot of uh, substance to the, to what happened there. Uh, I think it was mainly just a uh, scheme or a plot, we could just use those words, a plot to get Ed and Sid to Welch, West Virginia in their territory where they had bought the coal company, bought the town basically off what they failed to be able to do here. And they were going to make sure that they did away with the folk hero and the miners hero that seed had become and showed that this is what happens to you when you buck the coal company and you just don't do that. And that's that's what they set out to do. Kind of backfired on them a little bit, uh, as you know, with Blair Mountain happening shortly thereafter, the largest, uh, you know, uprising and since the Civil War, you know, armed uprising. But that's, in my opinion, that's what that was all about. They just, they knew that he was never going to set foot in that courthouse. There was never going to be a trial. If there ever was a change of venue that they should have done, they should have not even applied for a, a half court here. When they went in, they should have made a motion said, you know, there's no way we're going to get a fair trial here. Like, you're not going to. We need to move this to another city because they weren't going to win Mingo County. I'm sorry, but being a typical Hatfield, I have no sympathy for them. I, I just think that, you know, a lot of people ask me why I come back to Maywood. And it's because of Sid's commitment to the people and to the miners and to what he thought was right or wrong. And uh, <clears throat> the shape this town's in economically, and uh, we need to do whatever we can. And 
So that's the reason I feel compelled to do what I'm able to do. Uh, as a working person, I don't have a lot of money. But uh, if I can convince people to come back to make one and make one, get make one to grow again, then uh, that's, that's why I'm here. And uh, I mean, just, you know. But uh, we never were shy of hard work. And we did what we had to do to survive. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm advocating today is that uh, for the first time in over 100 years that we take control of our own destiny here, diversify our economy, and uh, own our own destiny uh, for a change. <clears throat> Not for a while. It's, it's going to change. Thank you for listening. Our podcasts are hosted by Buzzsprout and can be found there as well as your favorite media outlet. Just search for J-A-S-E Media Service. You can also find our videos on YouTube and Vimeo. My name is James Goltz, and I was assisted by Dale Hawkins, the Redneck Historian. Music with permission by Fesleyan Studios and Apple iMovie.